Good morning, everyone. Okay, here are my disclosures. Um, liver disease and IBD is very common. We're all gastroenterologists. We've all had some training in hepatology, so uh, we should be able to deal with this. Um, there are studies looking at the average prevalence of LFT abnormalities in patients with liver disease, and depending on how you define this, this can be uh, quite prevalent. And it also depends on whether the LFT abnormalities are transient or uh, persistent. Uh, here's an example of a study that we did at Mayo about 10 years ago, and we looked at a one-year slice of all the IBD patients that we saw, whether they were being seen for IBD or non-IBD reasons, looked at their uh, hepatic biochemistries and found that a third of the patients at least had transient elevations in uh, their hepatic biochemistries. The ones that were persistent, it was a much smaller group. Uh, and ultimately, 5% of these patients uh, were defined, uh, diagnosed with chronic liver disease. So here's that uh, in graphical format. You can see that 29% of the patients had abnormalities, and of those uh, patients, ultimately, uh, well, 5% of all the patients ultimately were diagnosed with uh, PSC, but you can see miscellaneous causes as well, including autoimmune hepatitis. Don't forget that, that that's clearly associated with ulcerative colitis, and many of these patients with autoimmune actually have that rare autoimmune PSC overlap. One of the ways you can tell that is if the transaminases are sort of more elevated than um, what you would normally ex expect in a PSC patient, and oftentimes you'll see that their LFTs will fluctuate with uh, corticosteroids. The important reason to recognize this, you know, you're just blowing off the LFTs, is that people with abnormal LFTs actually have a significant impact on their survival. That's probably driven by the PSC patients within that, but we actually showed in that cross-sectional study that the patients that had abnormal LFTs had a worse survival over the next uh, four years. So something to keep in mind. Uh, again, even pa patients with mild hepatic biochemistries had a five times higher risk of mortality even after adjusting for age. And so this is uh, something important to uh, recognize. There was not a an association when we tried to look at the LFT abnormalities and flares of IBD, we saw no relationship whatsoever. And so contrary to older studies, we did not see that uh, relationship. So we're going to talk about primary sclerosing cholangitis, small duct PSC, which is basically PSC without the visible bile duct abnormalities on ERCP or MRCP, uh, and briefly talk about some of these other conditions. Uh, again, PSC, chronic cholestatic liver disease. When you see that alkaline phosphatase elevated, you've got to think about this. And ultimately, roughly 5% of patients will be diagnosed with PSC amongst your ulcerative colitis patients. There's an interesting study from Scandinavia recently, a population-based study, where all the patients with uh, IBD got uh, basically MRCP or, or, or its equivalent, and the prevalence of PSC radiographically was actually three times higher than what you would have expected just based on the LFTs alone. And we see this all the time. In fact, if I see a patient 
that has pancolitis and rectal sparing and backwashiliitis, even if they have normal LFTs, you should think about maybe doing an MRCP on that patient because there's a good chance that that patient has PSC and has normal LFTs. And so think about this. It's, it's out there. Uh, once you recognize that phenotype of PSC IBD, uh, you can consider that. Don't forget that there's really not any clear-cut relationship between the PSC and the underlying IBD. In fact, anecdotally, it seems like it's almost an inverse relationship, uh, and oftentimes these patients have a very mild uh, pancolitis, uh, at least for a, a time period. Um, again, this is... Uh, um, obvious to all of us. We know this uh, recognition. I think the big change over the years is that, uh, you know, the prevalence of doing diagnostic ERCPs has gone down, and so it's just much easier to do an MRCP. Um, for our patients with PSC at Mayo Clinic, uh, we, um, to survey for uh, bile duct cancer, which is one of the major causes of mortality, we will um, do an annual MRCP, check their LFTs every three months, and also check an annual CA199. And so if you really want to uh, impact their uh, survival, you really have to monitor for um, cholangiocarcinoma. Um, another point to make uh, while we're talking about PSC, this often comes up, is can I give biologics in PSC patients? And the answer is you can, but don't expect that the biologic is going to help the course of PSC. We recently published our experience in elementary pharmacology and therapeutics uh, this year, looking at the impact of biologics on the LFTs and PSC patients, including our experience with vetolizumab. Uh, some people had theorized that maybe vetolizumab would help PSC. In our retrospective experience, it didn't seem to. It had no effect on the LFTs. The only biologic that seemed to have an effect on the LFTs was adalimumab, and there was a slight uh, statistically significant but maybe not clinically significant reduction in the alkaline phosphatase. Um, another consideration in PSC patients is uh, liver transplant. Can you give biologics in those post-liver transplant patients? And the answer is you, you can. Uh, we often go with vetolizumab in those patients now, uh, but it, at times, if you're forced to, we will give anti-TNFs, recognizing that they could have a higher rate of uh, serious infection with that. And we published a small case series on that. Uh, fatty liver is actually one of the most common causes of LFT abnormalities in patients with IBD. Uh, this is, exists in up to a third of our um, IBD patients. We're seeing more and more of it. Um, certainly, rapid weight loss can contribute. Uh, patients on TPN can uh, get these abnormalities, and uh, it's just something that we need to uh, uh, be concerned about. In our Crohn's patients, up to a third of them are going to have cholelithiasis, uh, and this is because of the uh, interruption in the enterohepatic cycling uh, of bile salts. They get an increased tendency to form cholesterol crystals in bile, uh, fortunately, most of these patients are asymptomatic, so when we find cholelithiasis in our uh, patients on cross-sectional imaging, that doesn't uh, trigger a cholecystectomy. They have to be symptomatic from their uh, gallstones. Uh, portal vein thrombosis, this is very uh, 
uh, common in the post-surgical setting. Recall that with uh, we've heard that inflammation can sort of nonspecifically activate your coagulation cascade, so it's a prothrombotic condition anyway, and then the patients are going through the stress of surgery. So that's always in the differential when you see a patient with uh, abdominal pain or a bump in their LFTs in that post-operative uh, setting. Uh, here's an example of a patient uh, who had a, an IPAA, and you can see that of the patients who had cross-sectional imaging, up to 45% had at least some portal vein thrombi. So a very uh, important consideration to make in your, uh, your post-op patients. Um, we're going to have a quiz on this later. I want you all to memorize this. This is uh, just an example of um, azathioprine and 6-mercaptopurine metabolism and showing you that uh, on the one side you get the, uh, the methylated metabolites. These, uh, the, the methylated metabolites are the ones that will um, result in, um, in, in potential hepatotoxicity and it's often manifested as a, um, a bump in transaminases. Uh, the problem with the methylated metabolites is there are a lot more people walking around with high methylated metabolites than there are with abnormal LFTs. So the presence of high 6-MMP levels alone doesn't mean I stop the drug, but I just recognize that that patient might be at increased risk for LFT abnormalities down the road. Um, the other concern, I think, are... We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so the, the methylated metabolite problem is more of a dose-dependent thing. So if you decrease the dose of azathioprine, the, the LFTs will get better. Um, however, I do believe that there are patients who get more serious chronic liver disease later on that seems like it's driven more by the 6-TGN metabolites. And those are the patients who get uh, the serious complications that often present with uh, signs of portal hypertension, and they'll have either not nodular regenerative hyperplasia or almost a veno-occlusive disease of the liver picture. The true incidence of these events remains unknown. In my own practice, it's uncommon, but I've definitely seen patients uh, who had azathioprine-induced uh, chronic liver injury. Fortunately, if you recognize it early enough, you stop it, they, they get well compensated, and they can uh, stay stable for a long time. So it is a concern, uh, fortunately rare. Here's an example of a study from uh, Spain looking at over 700 patients. You can see that 15% of the patients at some point had elevated liver enzymes, and when they defined the uh, hepatotoxicity, uh, 5%, and that had to be greater than two times the upper limit of normal. Um, you can see that the most frequent explanation was the thiopurine, uh, most of these patients normalize with time, but in some cases the drug had to be discontinued um, altogether. So uh, something to uh, be concerned about. So I think in, in patients where the transaminases are relatively low level, um, you can probably continue to monitor them, but if they're persistently elevated, um, you probably have to dose reduce. And in some cases, again, very rare, you might have to discontinue uh, the drug altogether. Um, in the AGA uh, guidelines on immunomodulators that uh, was published about 10 years ago, um, they don't really specify. They said just check frequent LFTs. I know in my own practice I check LFTs every three months and uh, 
we make adjustments uh, along with that. Methotrexate is always a concern, uh, liver abnormalities, and I think it's, you're going to be more likely to see this in patients that have risk factors for uh, liver injury, such as uh, alcohol use, if they already have abnormal uh, baseline LFTs, or if they have, um, say, for example, obesity or type 2 diabetes. These are uh, concerns. The uh, historical uh, practice was at once the patient had received a cumulative dose of one and a half or two grams, you would do a liver biopsy. I don't, I don't think we're really doing that anymore, but when we monitor the LFTs in these patients, when you start seeing those persistently elevated transaminases, you really need to uh, think about it. And again, in, in those patients that have risk factors for fatty liver or the patients that are uh, drinking alcohol or obese, you really want, might want to think twice about using methotrexate, um, just something to consider. Anti-TNF therapy is another cause of abnormal LFTs. Fortunately, this is rare and in most cases self-limited. Uh, there was a great study uh, published from the um, uh, Boston, the Partners uh, Collaboration, a retrospective cohort of over 1,000 patients, and they found that roughly 6% of patients on anti-TNF therapy developed elevated transaminases. Fortunately, uh, it was blamed on the anti-TNFs in only half, and it was mostly self-limited. But um, in 1% of cases or so, there was enough liver abnormality going on to warrant a liver biopsy. Um, and most of these patients will have features of autoimmune hepatitis, so think about checking an ANA or an anti-smooth muscle antibody. But basically, in those cases, I think the prudent thing to do would be to discontinue the anti-TNF and uh, consider corticosteroids. Fetalizumab, um, I think anecdotally, we'll see sometimes transient bumps in the uh, transaminases, but again, a self-limited problem, and um, I don't think we're seeing as much of uh, this um, autoimmune-type hepatitis in, in the patients with uh, fetalizumab. Uh, treatment, again, cessation of the anti-TNF and consideration of uh, uh, corticosteroids. All right, so um, in patients, uh, some people will actually monitor the LFTs. I have to say that in my, my typical practice, in patients on anti-TNFs, I'm not checking the LFTs. I, you know, I, if I'm seeing the patient back you know, once a year, sure, I'm getting LFTs, but I'm not doing this every three months. I think the one important thing to remember, especially if you uh, practice in a high-prevalence area, don't forget to check uh, the chronic hepatitis profile. Patients that are um, either uh, surface antigen positive or core antibody positive, you should really think about uh, prophylaxis. Some of you went to the case breakout sessions yesterday. We presented several cases and uh, patients basically at risk. Um, you know, if you're going to go with a biologic, you should probably think about um, entecavir or something along those lines. So I'm going to stop there and uh, we'll move on to the questions. Thank you.